Before we get into it, I need to remind you that the Football Index podcast is supported by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. For the first time, you can now check out a free tour of the members' content before you sign up. Just go to the homepage and click on the Take the Tour button to see a whole month of player scouting from this season and some sample member articles too. As an exclusive offer for podcast listeners, you can give the site a try with a 25% discount on your first month with Fig. 25. That's over on footballindextrader.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 151. I am joined today by a debutant, F.I. Dunwell. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Fig. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being on. Why don't you tell the listeners a bit more about you and a bit more about your football index journey? Yeah, happy to. So some people know me from the Index Game Slack as SDB Dunwell, um, and they know that I'm the chief executive of a really large organisation in the UK. So we have a £700 million turnover every year, and that's a pretty uh, full-time occupation, as I'm sure you can expect. No, surely Um, not. But... No, but it it still leaves a little bit of time at the margins to focus on Football Index as well. Yeah, I mean, I got into Football Index a couple of years ago. I absolutely love the product. I'm absolutely football mad. I was the youngest qualified FA referee in the country at 13. And I've always (laughs) had an interest in football. And I used to work in the gambling industry as well before I sort of did my legal training. So I've always had an interest in this kind of stuff. And then I was working in London a fair bit a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018. And at that point, Football Index were marketing everywhere. Like you couldn't get on the tube without seeing Football Index adverts or in in the Evening Standard or wherever. And I thought, this looks really, really good. I'd love to look at this. So I signed up and I probably didn't do myself justice when I joined the platform. There were a couple of things I was expecting to be able to do that I couldn't. So I found the inability to trade kind of in and out of positions quite frustrating and the fact that the market didn't really seem that liquid at times. So I kind of stepped away from it a bit, but always kept an eye on it from the distance. And then I was listening to this podcast regularly, as you know, and really just kind of keeping an ear to it. And then I think, you know, as you kind of, as I said to you previously, Fig, I came back to this in March during the sort of COVID period. Because when I saw just how much the market was thriving in perhaps the most difficult business conditions (laughs) you can imagine, I thought, these guys know what they're doing, gave me a huge amount of confidence. And at that time, I was trying to build a bit of an investment portfolio anyway with some spare capital that I had. And my intention was to build some sort of shares and equities portfolio around a sort of post-COVID recovery side of things. I actually realized, you know, I don't know enough about that stuff compared to what I know about football. And looking at how well the index was doing over March and April, I decided to move all that money into FI. And I've been building kind of significantly ever since. So it's a brilliant product. And it's something which kind of seems to be going from strength to strength. And we were actually discussing off air, weren't we, for every recession or every tumultuous time in the financial market seems to breed alternative asset opportunities for traders. I don't want to call them investments because obviously Football Index is a gambling product. It's a, it's a regulated gambling product. But, you know, we were talking about how spread betting became really big in the 90s and in the 90s recession. And then 2008, you were telling me that you got your first job actually in gambling as, a, as an odds compiler. And at that time, you know, there were interesting things such as fine wine, art, you know, crypto, that's when it was first 
first incepted in 2008. So in every recession, there seems to be huge opportunities in these kind of alternative, weird, adjacent platforms. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And there's that real old sort of Chinese cliche, isn't there, which people trot out all the time, which is a crisis is also an opportunity. And I think that's actually right. And if you're lucky enough, and I sort of don't want to sound flippant about it, because obviously it's been absolutely horrific for so many people what's happened this year. But if you're lucky enough to be in a position where you are able to take on a new opportunity at a time when you know, things are perhaps less stable around you, there are some fantastic returns to be made potentially. And I think you, you do see this as a regular pattern in a recessionary environment. And it's something which positions FI absolutely incredibly, if I'm honest. I think it's really something that we've been talking about, I think, on the podcast since the start of the pandemic. Well, I guess when the pandemic started affecting us in the UK and also from an economic standpoint, once we started going into lockdown, that there was a really interesting opportunity here. And I think we had SOTD, Lee, on the Pandacast during the lockdown. And he was like detailing his, I guess, conversations with himself or, or thoughts in his own brain during lockdown. He was like, I actually think FI could go up here. <laughs> and, you know, it did. But also, you know, you mentioned people looking at kind of the financial markets, places like Free Trade and Robin Hood and Trading 212. They've seen more business than they've ever seen as businesses ever because you've got millennials and, and people that have got spare money finally venturing into the kind of financial markets. And I think FI should be looking at that and being like, well, we're obviously not an investment platform, but if we're going to become a multi-billion pound alternative asset market, then FI aren't going to be only taking money from gambling competitors. They're going to be taking money from these kind of trading platforms. They're going to be taking money from the crypto markets, and they're going to be taking money from kind of like fund managers, et cetera, as well. So I think a lot of people sometimes don't take a step back and think about just how big this thing could be. So you're spot on. And that's exactly my experience. So I opened a 212 account at the start of March with this kind of investment strategy in mind. And by the end of March, I had moved all those funds from 212 into FI. And I'll be honest with you, I remember sort of early mid-March saying to a friend of mine who's kind of not particularly close to FI, but is aware of it because he's really into football, and saying to him, Nick, do you think Football Index is actually going to exist by the end of April? I genuinely say to him, do you think this is actually business is going to be here? And then over the course of the next few weeks, you know, really kind of getting back into the platform and looking around what was happening. I was doing a lot of DIY at the time, so we've got a, a new <laughs> baby coming. I was listening to your podcast. And actually, it was really apparent that not only was the platform going to survive, but it was actually thriving. And it was thriving and it was growing. And that was kind of, it gave me so much confidence to think, you know, I've learned from my first experience on how to work the platform to make money from it. And now I know there's a platform here which is going to be really going places. And like that big concern that I had initially around the liquidity and the inability to move your money around easily, you know, at the same sort of time, I think it was March, Tavigo, you know better than me. It was at that time we started talking a lot about order books as well. And I think it was the end of March, early April that we kind of got the announcement of the comms that order books were going to be rolled out so, you know, over the course of the next period. And that for me was like, that. yes, I'm absolutely in here. Yeah. I'm absolutely going to take advantage of this. I think my thing was also during that period, you know, there has always been people that have questioned the business model, questioned the legitimacy, questioned just how FI works. And it's a very complex model. Understandably, a lot of people don't understand how it works. But 
for me, it was kind of like, well, you know, Football Index, I think, will quite comfortably survive the COVID economic onslaught, so to speak. And that will also convince a lot of people that have doubts about its legitimacy. And I think the next wave of that is going to be when sell orders and NASDAQ underpins the platform, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that was a a big thing for people where they were like, well, you know what? Like if COVID doesn't, you know, end this platform's hopes, then what does? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've shown their resilience, haven't they? And an ability to be agile and adapt to a what we hope would be a sort of a once in a lifetime kind of business challenge. So if you don't take confidence from that, what are you actually looking for? Well, uh, I think we've got a few questions to get into, but before we do, I'm going to plug the Patreon again. If you don't know what a Patreon is for you new listeners and new users, it's where content creators create premium bonus and behind-the-scenes content for their audience. In my case, I'll be trying to help traders profit more on their Football Index journeys by adding as much insight as I can. There's £3 tier where you get the early podcast and a couple other things as well five pound tier where you get a monthly private podcast and a monthly private blog an eight pound tier where you get access to all those things before it and the discord chat and then a 12 pound tier where you get access to everything and also monthly webinars where we do master classes i'm sure this one will be on sell orders this month but i'm just waiting to see when that actually comes about all of which don't include vat but the vat is included on the price you can see it now which is great because people don't think i'm scamming them yeah go check it out if you head over to patreon.com forward slash fi guide that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash fi guide for more information and join a growing community at the fig patreon for the best football index content around and i think you're actually a member aren't you done well i didn't we didn't we didn't really realize until we started chatting before it yeah i'm a member i'm a day one member i saw when you announced you were gonna offer some tiered options on subscription i was straight in it's a great show fig and it's a great opportunity for me to kind of support it and i think you know by the sounds of it plenty of other people are doing the same thing so it's all good stuff appreciate it thank you so much i'm sure there'll be you know in the future fingers crossed when there's hundreds or thousands of patrons then you can get kind of like a day one members badge or something that i can post in the uh <laughs> in I do. mailbox uh, i'm also going to plug the state of play podcast go check out my other podcast that is all about the top five european leagues if you want to get your weekly dose of european football and what's going on head over to the state of play podcast on any of your podcast providers or at state of play pod on twitter right so we've got nice comments and miscellaneous questions here fi stag if you were both peep show characters which would you be so i've got a profess here done i've never watched peep show what yeah is that, is that a joke no 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 it's, it's serious that's absolutely unbelievable in many ways though like I'm almost jealous that you can now go and watch it and enjoy it as someone who's never seen it before because it's one of the best comedies ever made <laughs> well I mean why don't you answer this one since I've got no idea yeah so I actually couldn't believe it when I saw this on the Twitter feed um, I went on a stag do a few years ago and I'd probably been there for like 15 minutes and you know what it's like when you're on a stag do you meet loads of new people you don't know it's a bit awkward at the start and this guy i've met once before uh you're an absolute spit of mark corrigan you even talk like him you're corrigan you're corrigan and to this day there are probably about 12 people who i now see semi-regularly who only address me as cory uh, rather than my actual name so um yeah i wasn't best pleased to see the uh, question pop up but i thought i had to share the story with you when we first moved into uni in Nottingham, 
I I had like a block full of like 21 people in first year, made friends with this guy. His name was Luke. He looked like Simon from The Inbetweeners and Jay at the same time. He looked like Jay and Simon from The Inbetweeners. Like it was really weird. Like we'd say to people, we'd meet on the nights out, like, doesn't he look like Jay from Inbetweeners? And they'd be like, no, he looks like Simon. And then we'd say it to other people, like, doesn't he look like Simon? And they'd be like, oh, no, he looks like Jay. And we, we just called him Jimon for the whole of first year, and he didn't really like it. But again, some of those things just uh, stick, don't they? Um, weird. You've got an action now from this meeting, Fig, to actually go <laughs> to go away and watch Peep Show yeah. and report back in a few weeks' time once you've watched all nine seasons, whatever it is. Nine seasons, wow. And give us a review. Like, I think you're going to have to do it now, aren't you, mate? To be fair, that could actually kill a lot of time for me. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I keep pretending to be busy, but I I don't think I am that busy. No, I'm joking. I I am busy. So if you have got a DM waiting from me, then then it's because I am busy. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, we've got a question here from The Roundtable, another FI podcast. A well-deserved call-up to the major leagues from one of our own. When you become CEO at Football Index, what are the first three changes that you make? So let's say, hypothetically, you become... DC, or you got to become the CEO for a day, done well. What would you do? So, firstly, big shout out to the Football Index Roundtable guys. That's a great pod as well, Fig. I can't believe you two haven't managed some sort of crossover episode yet because that would be electric. We've had negotiations. I think Panda, as my agent, is doing the grunt work there. But um, I. That's not going to happen then, is it? I think we've not penciled something in directly. I think Nick's been been trying his best, but we have have agreed that we do something. It's just no set date yet. So watch, watch that space. Something to look forward to. So, in terms of the question, which I really enjoyed, I have got like a few things scribbled down. So, like, well, I hope so. Thing, I probably... hope you've got at least three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, the first thing is kind of an obvious one, but I think it's just now like it's about timing. So, the whole NASDAQ implementation and the instruction of sell orders it was a top priority anyway. Like, it was something which had to be kind of done, but it had to be done in the right market conditions. After the dividend review last week, we now have the right market conditions for this. And uh, I feel like FI have opened the window on getting this done now with the least amount of pain, potentially. That was always going to be some potential volatility that came with sell orders being rolled out. But we've got a growing market. We've got pretty much the entire market is undervalued from, I think, that's the consensus for most people. The volatility will therefore kind of be at its most acceptable in a general sort of rising tide. So priority number one would be make this like pull out all the stops, make sure it happens, get it done whilst we're in this really sort of frothy trading environment. So I mean, that would be the first thing. Number two would be to have a really big focus on the user interface and the user experience like i really feel like this is a big missed opportunity for fi at the moment have you noticed something that they've done recently they've moved the deposit button to the bottom right corner yeah did you see that i have that was interesting yeah it is but to accommodate that they've moved the account button to the top right corner which now like even if you've got like a slightly larger than average thumb you have to start mashing screen to try and make it work but anyway the product is so fundamentally sound but the experience of using it quite often isn't so there's quite a few, even just really little things, which will make quite a big difference to people who spend a lot of time like on the website or the app. So firstly, I think we've hit the point in time now when the top 200 in the squad can be put together into one player list. It's such an artificial delineation now that actually it's just irritating if you start trying to search for a player and you're not in the right section. There's no reason why people just have to kind of have to encounter that. As part of the sort of the trading environment, so visibility at the top, 
bid, for example. Um, at the moment, it's quite opaque because you've only got it in blocks of 300, um, which I think a lot of users still trade in smaller blocks than that, particularly for premium players. So allowing them to see what the top bid is rather than the average price would be very helpful. It really winds me up that the sell and the buy prices are in different orders depending on which platform you're using. So on the desktop side, they are the what I would consider the right way round, sort of pink on the left, blue on the right, in the sort of the sort of Betfair kind of view of the world. And yet on the mobile app, they're the way around. I don't understand the inconsistency. That's just sort of frustrating. But even just taking those little tweaks to one side, which I think would have you know quite a lot of value and quite simple fixes. There's a really fundamental point for me on the user experience, which is they need to provide so much more data to their users. So like I really feel like anyone who is trying to trade on FI should be able to go back and see historical scores or see selected statistics about players. You can't even go back and see who won the dividends from two days ago, for example. It feels like a massively missed opportunity. And it's almost like asking people to play fantasy football, but not letting them see what scores the players got in previous game weeks. So that just feels like a really no, big opportunity. And then the third one is a bit of a, a moonshot, really. But I do think there could be some benefit from reviewing the commission structure. So I think the current system is very regressive. It's a flat fee on, on sales, regardless of whether you've made a profit from that transaction. That sort of discourages rapid trading. So it discourages sort of skimming or arbing, which people might not necessarily regard as value add, but is actually really good for keeping spreads narrow. And when you've got that sort of money going in and out regularly, it helps keep the market buoyant and keeping liquidity moving in and out. If you're paying 2% on every single trade, regardless of whether you've made a penny a share or you've made a pound a share, actually, that's not at all conducive to operating in that environment. So I wouldn't mind if I was a CEO, I'd at least kick off some modeling to understand if there was a more progressive commission structure, which might actually help shake things up a bit. Well, you could probably quite easily do it, right? Like you could have the top 10% of volume related traders get this kind of commission structure and then the next 20 and the next 40 or whatever it may be. And then you could probably model what your profits would look like for the next quarter and then review it every quarter. But I mean, that is something that I think a few people that trade really regularly, and I mean, kind of like every match day, they're trading kind of tens of thousands of pounds with regularity. They've been like, well, I do this so much more and I'd have so much more incentive to do this if my commissions were X rather than what they are right now, if I do this much volume a month. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely something that could encourage a lot more liquidity, I suppose. It's difficult to estimate the numbers, isn't it, without sort of being really integral to the business. But my gut instinct is that you could significantly multiply your volume and therefore generate a greater number of commissionable transactions, even though those commissions were lower and still do better out of it. That's my sort of gut instinct, but I'd love to see the numbers. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't we all? Um, <laughs> <laughs> just before we move on, I need to plug Index Game. They've launched their newest product uh, quite recently, MyIG, which helps traders manage their portfolios as well as view real-time spreads and prices across the entire index. Analyze price moves for your players over multiple price periods simultaneously. Get real price alerts straight to your phone for the players you hold or are watching. If you go over to indexgame.co.uk, you can use the code FIG2020 for five quid off your first month, or you can get a month free with a six-month membership and five quid off over on indexgain.co.uk. I mean, you're a massive fan, aren't you, Dunwell? 
huge. I'd be absolutely lost without Index Gain. It's a fantastic platform. Uh, yeah, it is absolutely stupendous value for money, Fig, in terms of what you get for your monthly subscription. And that doesn't even count the sort of Slack community as well, which is a really good source of advice and general sort of laughs as well. So yeah, highly recommended. Mm, here, here. Bobby Axelrod here has a question. What a ridiculously interesting guest intro. <laughs> I have two questions. Up to port size in March 2020, bad timing or amazing foresight? And I think you've, you've touched on this a little bit already. Yeah, so I guess time will tell, won't it? Hopefully it was amazing foresight. Hopefully not <laughs> bad timing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I kind of talked through as to why I came in sort of quite strongly into this in March. And the response to the COVID thing is a huge kind of vote of confidence in the platform. So yeah, hopefully it will it will pay off in time. We'll see, won't we? I mean, with the generous yields on offer, I think it's probably already paying off, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, even in the last kind of two weeks, I've probably yielded you know, significant multiples of what I could have expected on an alternative investment strategy with using a, a different sort of platform, whether on equities or something else. So the great feeling sort of sat here right now is actually we're just at the start of it for this year. Um, with a new season starting, the general sort of sense is, well, the yields over the next three to six months at least could be absolutely phenomenal. He has another question. Also, with all the love and rockets flying around, what do you think is the biggest threat to growth in the 2020-21 season? Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? So I think kind of having said that it was the response to the COVID crisis that led to myself and, and some others sort of choosing that time to invest, that's also the cause of the biggest threat as well. So, I mean, my sense is that the wider kind of economic headwinds, which is to come probably October onwards, actually are a threat to all businesses, particularly businesses in this you know, startup kind of growth phase, which FI, I think you'd probably say still is. And however generous the new dividend structure is, the only way that the rest of us are going to realise any you know, significant gain from it is if new investment kind of follows in and recognises that there are some really great yields to be had and actually invest their um, money to go with that. So um, that new investment is absolutely crucial to realising the growth and the scale opportunities that come with it. And then beyond that, attracting some proper institutional or trading firm money as well. I guess this is dependent on getting the marketing right fundamentally and the platform too. On the marketing I think in previous years, if I've done a pretty good job on this, so seem to have quite a good feel for when to play in particular promos or when to push particular marketing channels and listening to, it's Rob, isn't it? Cheeseman <laughs> talking about this previously, you know, like you listen to, to how he talks about marketing and you, and you sort of hold that up against what if I do and you think actually you can see some general strategy there. So actually I don't really worry too much around the sort of new like, retail user base growing. But, you know, that is set against a backdrop of probably disposable incomes are maybe shrinking once the furlough scheme gets switched off. What has been a really permissive regulatory environment over the last decade for gambling firms seems to be moving away, which could also be challenging. I'm not actually convinced still whether the Gambling Commission fully understand Football Index as a product. So, you know, there could be some challenges which come with that. But my sense is, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be enormously worried. And then the second half of that is if you really want to unlock high net worth individuals, institutional money, 
professional kind of investment, I think the NASDAQ deployment is the bit which makes that happen. That's the bit which gives the whole platform credibility. It will make the market liquid and rational and then which will make the market even more attractive to investors. So like, I feel like we're tantalizingly close to all of that. And as long as the general economy can just about hold up and keep us going, I think we'll be okay. But that's not to say there aren't risks. Hmm. There are, there are, you know, there's risk with, with anything in life, right? I mean, you do raise a really good point. I think there is going to be a lot of uncertainty for a lot of businesses in October, especially in the UK when the furlough scheme kind of finally subsides. And we are due a, a macroeconomic dip, aren't we, in, in kind of the, the stock markets that which usually follow economic growth or or kind of regression. We are seeing, for example, a lot of the stock markets being carried by very few big top tech stocks. And we're likely going to see probably a big drawback in, in those soon. And uh, although those aren't linked with FI, I mean, one could argue that we saw that during COVID that they kind of uh, fell together as, as fear grew around the world about the same thing. And you might be right in, in that sense. And the Gambling Commission one is, is really interesting. I obviously don't know this, but from what I can kind of see from the outside, the advertisement, the ASA, the advertisement standardization, something, something or other. They advertising with, standards agency. There we go. Authority, whatever it is. They seem to be kind of zoning in on kind of advertisements that involve under 25s in the gambling sector, which is obviously super strange because, you know, you can, at 18, you can open a gambling account, you can go into the army, you can, you can drink, you can do whatever you want, you can get married, but apparently, you buy a house. yeah, you can buy a house, but apparently, you know, the ASA has an issue with under 25s being used in the advertisements. So what you see on social media, they, they don't ever tend to use the kind of young players, which is kind of FI's USP, you know, when people come onto the platform, they want to find the next messy the next Ronaldo, even when you explain it to people that don't know what FI uh, is, they're like, well, why would I buy Messi or Ronaldo right now? I'm going to try and find the next one, which the logic is is definitely there. And that's the kind of USP for FI to sell. And it's hard when you, you're not allowed to do that. And it, it's obviously due to some just ridiculous rules that don't really make much sense. But again, we, we could talk about that all day, I suppose, why certain regulatory bodies aren't really fit for purpose. Well, just on that, it's really interesting. I was having this discussion with a friend of mine the other day that I think there's, there are three kind of fundamental feeder products to FI, which people go down either one or all of these routes before they come into it. And only one of them is an established sort of gambling product. So I, I think obviously there are people who like a bet as a discretionary kind of use of their spending money. And that might be an acker on football on the Saturday, or it might be a first goal scorer bet when they go to the game. Or, you know, but they've got an interest in putting money alongside their knowledge of football. So um, you know, I think there is a sort of migratory route for those people into FI as a different way of betting on football. And uh, you know, that, that is how the, the product is actually licensed, essentially, and regulated. Yeah. But there's two other routes, which are, I think, you know, for, again, for younger people, probably would, would recognise this as, as a feed into FI. So one is obviously fantasy football, which is it's enormous, but still not as enormous as it is in other territories. So if you look, if you go to the US and watch how they consume oh, fantasy man. sports, I mean, that's just absolutely, it's mind-blowingly extraordinary when you see it's fully integrated into, you know, primetime television broadcasts. And actually, you know, once they show an NFL game, you have a ticker running across the screen at the bottom telling you fantasy scores at the same time. Actually, 
you know, there's still growth in fantasy products in this country. And from that growth, there will be spillover into FI as well. I've no doubt about that. And the third one is one I think that a lot of guests you've had on have mentioned before, and that's Football Manager as well. So Football Manager and, 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 and Championship Manager uh, before that, showing my age, for me, were like absolute staples of my life, but like the best part of two decades before I got a family and had no time anymore. And actually, the whole kind of raison d'etre of that game essentially is trying to find up and coming talent, right? Like, and being able to like analyze data and statistics to understand who the next kind of big thing in football is going to be there's got to be like any one or multiple of those three routes a huge feed into fi as a whole i'd also say uh, and this is kind of an offshoot of the gambling kind of thing that you've mentioned match betting you know that's that's kind of how i found fi but a lot of people who do gamble as match betters they're not exactly gambling they're just are being and they're just looking to make money and although they might go on to fi a little bit more cautiously they end up kind of like definitely loving it because it's kind of that i guess intelligent way of gambling if that makes sense um it's more strategic yeah more strategic that's probably the better term i mean it's interesting you mentioned football manager remember on episode 100 sam mentioned that he he would actually have a massive thousands and thousands and thousands of players database on fi and just offer a price on all of them is that something that you're kind of aligned to yeah absolutely um, and, and <laughs> sam's someone who i still speak to kind of semi-frequently online and you know, a huge amount of time for and yeah i mean when i kind of started in FI, I downloaded the FM database and absolutely spreadsheeted it and tried to cross-check it against FI prices. I felt like, does that give me an edge somewhere? It probably doesn't because how many other people are doing that as well? I don't know. But it's definitely like, if you're a data-driven mindset, that's a great source of really high quality quantitative data. Mm. Next question here from FI Gardener. In your opinion, will Audibooks and full NASDAQ integration be the holy grail to attract larger traders and high net worth individuals to the product? Yes, in short. So in my opinion, the product is fundamentally strong anyway, and it's got a number of USPs, which nothing else can really come close to. But I think I mentioned like when I introduced myself at the start of the show that the things which put me off first time round at FI were the lack of liquidity, lack of transparency on market depth, the difficulty of moving in and out of positions. And I still find it now, if I'm honest, like if I try and explain to friends how FI works, I start sort of talking through it. It tends to go quite well until I get to the sell queue. And that's when people start checking out. And are these people that have kind of like they already have experience in how kind of traditional markets work in terms of right. how you'd buy and sell stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, the idea that you sort of click sell and then you don't know whether your money's going to come back to you in, in a space of a couple of minutes or what could actually be genuinely be a couple of months of people find quite off-putting, I think, and certainly was something which I sort of struggled with until I learned how to strategize that issue. But my hope is that NASDAQ and order books just fix that problem completely. So if I wasn't confident that order books were coming in, and not just coming in, but coming in properly backed by NASDAQ, then I genuinely wouldn't have come back to FI, even though I love the concept. I think NASDAQ provides the credibility. I think order books provide the market mechanics required to sustain growth conditions for years beyond where we are. And actually, 
when those things are in play, then suddenly you've got an environment where market makers can operate effectively, where high net worth individuals look at the product as somewhere, like we said earlier, an alternative asset class, where you can actually genuinely attract potentially institutional money as well. And that was one of the big takeaways for me from the interview you did with Adam earlier in the, in the summer, when Adam and, and Akash were saying, actually, you know, we want to attract institutional money into this as an alternative asset class i was like wow like you know you guys are really thinking with the full extent of your ambition around this so you know the idea that nasdaq and, and order books will give us liquidity and the spreads that we want and the trading opportunities are fundamentally this is the last piece of the jigsaw for where i'm sitting yeah i totally agree and i think that there are a lot of people professional gamblers betfair traders people that work in the city and have been looking at this from afar, they are waiting for that next step, I think. And I think that once FI provide that, the sell order side, and then the NASDAQ underpinning that, the tech side, and also the ability to create as many IPOs as they want, the ability to quickly iterate the product and features in the product because the robust underlyings are there via NASDAQ is really exciting. And it is something that is going to bring a lot more money into this product, even if it was just a marketing angle, you know, having NASDAQ underpin something like this is is pretty amazing. I know that NASDAQ are looking at providing the white label solution for from loads of markets, whether it's in kind of the gambling era of things, crypto or traditional finance. NASDAQ are definitely looking at all these spaces really seriously. And that's why they've created these like white label solutions that underpin these trading platforms. And, you know, NASDAQ wouldn't do that if they didn't think there was opportunity in all those realms. And they know, especially as a US based entity, that gambling regulations in the US are definitely going to loosen up in, in the future. And they've looked at it being like, okay, well, crypto is kind of weird, but here to stay. And a lot of people, you know, that's a that's a trillion dollar market nearly. Traditional finance isn't going anywhere, but it probably needs iterating and there's going to be new and more more exchanges in the future. Gambling is going to become widespread in, in the US. 10 years from now, we're going to be talking about it being mainstream and everyone in the US being able to gamble that's where the opportunity has has gone for them. And they've seen FI and been like, well, this is quite novel, unique. It kind of picks up on some of the things that you've just talked about done well in terms of the fantasy aspect in the US, especially alongside gambling, alongside this kind of quote unquote alternative asset class. I I just think that there is such a vast amount of opportunity there just because of this integration, this partnership. Yeah, I completely agree. So two more reflections on, on that from me. So one the Nasdaq brand, as you rightly say, is actually phenomenal. So yeah. um, for someone like for me of, of my age, Nasdaq is just synonymous with the tech boom, dot-com growth in the like late 90s, early 2000s. And like the fact that all of these, what we, we now consider today to be established, essentially blue chip companies, well, they were floated on Nasdaq, you know? Like, they were like startups, essentially, that went on to become fundamentally part of the fabric of day-to-day life and day-to-day corporate life as well so like that nasdaq brand just it's difficult to think of one that's stronger in this product environment and secondly like i just also remember when i first saw the tweet from football index when they said they'd signed the partnership agreement with nasdaq and i almost fell off my chair like i don't know i don't know if you remember that as well but it, <laughs> yeah. it was such an unexpected thing to have seen like i always, at that time thought of fi as quite a you know pretty much a, a small operation that were in, doing a bit of sort of 
half fantasy, half betting, like interesting little product, but not really sort of a massive deal. When I saw that, it completely changed my perception of Football Index as an operation and thought, you know, I thought about it differently overnight. So, you know, it can only be a positive thing for FI, right? Yeah, it can. I think a lot of people undervalue just how big an entity and a thing NASDAQ is. I mean, as you said, you thought at that time FI were a bit of a a small organization and the intent is there as soon as you have a partnership with someone like NASDAQ. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that kind of develops in the near future. NASDAQ, by want of that high quality brand that they've got, will keep FI honest as well. So the last thing they want is to go into a, this is a kind of new way of working for them, a partnership with a non-pure traditional financial services kind of operation. They need it to work as well. So actually that they bring their expertise to the table and will ensure that people aren't doing anything silly, which I think also actually provides a lot of confidence back to people like us. Mm. We've got a question here from Super Clive, son of Ivor. Um, Um, An undeniable value proposition. How do you think FI should prove to high net worth individuals it is a fit and proper institution to effectively manage as custodian significant amounts of wealth? So, yeah, this is another interesting question, isn't it, around the same sort of subject? Yeah, it is. It is. I, I suppose the starting point for me with this question is whether you fundamentally believe that the way Football Index is currently sort of set up, licensed and regulated, is it enough now to be considered fit and proper in this regard? I mean, I, I think we've heard so many times now that they're a tier one gambling operator and that's clearly a, a really big deal for FI. Like it's a badge of honour, I think, for them. But what comes with that is significant scrutiny and a less permissive environment for playing fast and loose. So actually, like I've got quite a lot of faith in the fact that FI take their responsibilities really seriously in this regard, even if perhaps the gambling commission might be playing catch up a little bit to try and understand how FI works. I don't really personally worry about the custodianship or the probity of FI as a business. Maybe there's a question later down the line over whether a different regulatory environment would be more appropriate for a product like FI. Like, for example, you know, sort of spread betting is covered by the FCA rather than the GC. I know people say, oh, we've got to pay tax on profits. Well, actually, you know, I've, I've been spread betting for a best part of a decade and you know you don't pay tax on profits if you're if you're a retail client so there may be some different angles to consider around where does fi actually sit on the spectrum of of regulation but i suspect for quite a few years from that question being posed let alone answered so there is some risk i guess as there is with any other investment vehicle but it still feels relatively low to me the only thing i would add is that can be quite challenging to access any kind of company financial data for FI. So it's quite a complex corporate structure, which is not unusual in itself, but the filings that are available don't tell you very much. And I suspect at some point, larger investors will want a greater level of reassurance that the fundamentals of the business and the company are sound and they're able to fund their ongoing liabilities. But I mean, genuinely, and I I really believe this, it's not something I'm personally worried about at all. I mean, just back to the kind of regulatory side of things as well. I mean, Adam mentioned in the podcast that they're looking at like insurance products for FI. Is that kind of stuff also going to be appealing to people that are going to put a lot of money in this thing? 
well, if you're putting a lot of money in, then you're going to want to have some kind of mechanism to safeguard your investment, I suspect. It was one of the more arcane elements of your interview that um, I wasn't really sure where they were going <laughs> with the point around the insurance, but I suspect that's because it's a failure of imagination on my part and that they've considered something which I haven't. I mean, I guess if you were spending a million pounds of your or your company's money on a shareholding in a particular footballer you might want to try and hedge some of that risk off in case of serious injury or another real world event which took an axe to your investment essentially um but that's something which i just at the moment i can't really like vision it if i'm honest with you. Yeah. yeah 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 neither can i really don't really know how that would work what about um you know i had this conversation before institutional money hedge funds like could you ever see when we're talking about big money, not individual big money coming to FI, do you ever think that could be a, a reality? Yeah, absolutely. I've got no doubt about it at all because um, big money like that is like it's like water. It just finds the path of least resistance to get out. And if the yields are strong, which they are, and they're going to get stronger as we go into the, the following year and, and hopefully the years ahead as well, the money will follow the return. Um, and I think if there is the faith and the confidence that the market is liquid and the yield can be realized because the, the product and the company is solid enough. I think we absolutely will see institutional money or you know, hedge fund money, like you say, which benefits the rest of us as an environment because that liquidity provides a better trading platform. I think the other thing that we could have is kind of like FI funds, right? You could have a trader on FI set up a fund that other people who want to be more passive put into. And then those traders manage that. Like, I actually genuinely don't think that's too out of the realms of possibility. Oh, not at all. And actually, I was going to ask this question of one of your pods earlier in the year, and I never kind of got around to it. This idea of a, an FI set of ETFs. Some people who listen will be familiar with ETFs if they've done sort of some kind of like retail trading and equities. So actually, you know, a, a group of stocks that are put in a particular kind of basket, say you might want to buy an ETF in, English footballers under 21, or you might want to buy an ETF in the entire Arsenal first team squad or something, you know, you, you get the idea and that actually these baskets don't have to be quite as obvious as the ones that I've just spelled out. They could be, you know, they, they could be around a particular competition or a particular tournament or, or whatever it might be. I think they'd be really attractive to people because you're actually, you're buying into a particular sector of the overall platform rather than just trying to stock pick, which can be quite challenging at times. So I, I don't think that's out of um, the realms of possibility, not, not in any way. I think some people think too small with FI. They think, you know, wow, this is going to be awesome when it gets to Spain and Germany, but they don't actually think about kind of the gargantuan size of what this thing could become just based on what we have right now and the kind of things that we've just discussed. I think people, they don't think, I guess, laterally enough. Yeah, absolutely. Think bigger and don't let your imagination constrain what this product could be. I saw earlier on this evening something online that between Wednesday and Sunday of last week, 1.7 million pounds of messy shares were bought just on the speculation of you know, what's happening with him in the future. If that doesn't tell you the level of interest in this product and what it kind of could go on to be in terms of the size of people's investments, it's just absolutely incredible what, what this could become. Mm. 
Question here from F.I. Lewin. A potential six-figure sum is substantial risk as well as a huge opportunity. It shows tremendous faith in, in those running F.I. What do you see as the biggest risk to your journey of the, the next 12 months? I suppose you've, you've kind of already answered this on the more macro side of things, but I guess as an individual, where do you see your biggest risk <laughs> in the next 12 months? Oh, look, absolutely. Let the cards on the table. By far the biggest risk to my money over the next 12 months is me. So like, if I make bad decisions and put my money in the wrong places, then that is by far the biggest risk to how I do on Football Index. I'm absolutely sure of that. And that's how it should be, right? So like, I want to be rewarded for investing my money wisely. But for that to be possible, the opposite has to be true as well. So if I throw it down the drain, like I'm going to lose it. So that's kind of, <laughs> that that risk has to, has to keep me honest and and continue to kind of work at where I put my capital. I guess aside from that really sort of obvious point, the instruction of sell orders for all the kind of praise that I've been lauding on that as the next kind of step in the journey for FI, it also has the potential to be an extremely volatile time, um, particularly for pricing and therefore the index as a whole. I suspect there is a really large segment of the FI user base who are absolutely used to seeing a green portfolio value based on a really simple calculation of I bought at X and the current market buy price is Y, therefore I'm still making money. And I think if we were all really honest with ourselves and each other, we would know that's just not the case when spreads are potentially wider or actually the journey of releasing that money in a stampede of others who might want to release money in that particular stock at the same time would by definition mean the price is much, much lower than that. So, you know, we could see some real volatility in portfolio values and individual share values as well. And that goes back to my point from earlier that if you were ever going to do it, now is absolutely the time to get it done because the sentiment is high and actually values are generally rising quite rapidly now. And if you do get some volatility, you'll be able to just blast through it, I hope. You know, the risk is that if that doesn't go well, it could instigate some quite irrational trading or in worst case scenario, capital flight and people just pull their money. And it's really, really important that FI are alive to this. I'm sure they are, but they need to be monitoring it really carefully at the point they switch it on and have some mitigation plans ready to go to manage it, I think. I think we mentioned earlier, right? It's the right time to bring it in, right? The, the market yeah. is so positive Let's get on with it. and the yields are so great. And also we see what happens when there are no uh, buyers on a player, it gets a bit awkward and tepid in the market for that certain player. We saw it with Philip Max, you know, if he goes to PSV, sell orders there would allow people to place the sell price at what they want to sell at, what is the lowest that they'd accept. So yeah, I, I truly think that that is going to be a learning curve for people, but I think they're going to enjoy it more on, on the long term, just how they have with the buy side of order books, I suppose. I think that's right. Uh, I also get the feeling that like the idea of selling orders is taking on a bit of a mythical quality in the community. Mm. Um, and, and some people, well, the, really the longer worried. it has to breathe, the more speculation, yeah. the more nervousness, the more kind of fantasies that are brought up, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. The thing that I say to people when I get talking about this is that, like. Think zoom out a little bit. Like we've actually already got like two mechanisms of sell order already. Like you can already put in an order to sell your shares at the current market buy price by joining the sell queue, or you can put a sell order in to sell your shares at the IS price, which is the highest bid. All we're talking about is allowing you to 
put in an order at a price which you define rather than the two prices the platform limiting you to choosing at the moment. And I think as long as people start like recognizing it for what it is and not imagining it as some kind of, you know, fantasy, which is going to take their you know, paper money away from them, then it will be fine. But we just <laughs> need the confidence to be there that it's actually going to be all right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Just before we move on, I need to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pearce, Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein. They're telling stories you won't find anywhere else. And I actually mean that. They've been recently doing a lot of messy articles, as you can imagine, and they've been absolutely phenomenal. If you want 40% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around, go to theathletic.co.uk slash fig. It's £2.99 a month if you go for their annual deal. That is cheap as chips, quite literally. I was at the coast near Somerset over the bank holiday weekend and chips were more expensive than that. So I'm being literal in that. But Dunwell, you bought anything recently that cost more than £2.99? Yeah, much like you actually, Fig. I went to the coast on bank holiday weekend as well with the family and bought two Mr. Whippies with flakes. £5.40 for two Mr. Whippies. Absolutely outrageous. So yeah, The Athletic looks positively bargain by comparison, doesn't it? Are you a subscriber? I am. I absolutely am. And I have been since they launched. I think it's it's absolutely phenomenal value. It's really high quality journalism and great for FI research as well. It's so, so good. I mean, I'm not just saying that because, you know, I've got the special fig code that gets you 40% off, but it is truly phenomenal. Amazing. It actually came up the other day. They emailed me being like, oh, your subscription's about to be renewed. I was like, well, hang on a minute. You sponsor me. Can I not just have it for free? (laughs) Question here from Old Man FI from the Fig Discord. What's your process for researching a player before committing to the buy? Do you value quantitative data, qualitative, or a combination of both? So I think, like most people, it's both. I have a bit of a mental algorithm, which I run through before I commit to a, a proper purchase. So you know, firstly, I sort of ask myself, is this price a, a fair one? What's the composition of the current price? Is there a, a really clear line of sight to either an established like dividend return in the past or a future return from someone who's yet to bring in dividends? And I have to have some confidence around that. Otherwise, I find it very, very difficult to go any further. I then really ask myself, like, is this a short-term hold? Am I looking to be in and out of this kind of relatively quickly? Or is this something which is much more medium or long-term? And I write it down on my spreadsheet next to it to really hold myself to it. And then you know, the kind of the key question is, like, what is it which I expect to happen over that period, which will lead to be making money, either in capital appreciation or sort of dividend income? I really challenge myself to have a proper answer to that question because if I can't answer it, then it's just, you know, it's a punt rather than something more than that. So I think it's really, really important that since, you know, IS kind of changed and bids came in, I'm now putting more emphasis on asking myself what my exit strategy is going to be. Like, how am I going to exit? Am I going to be able to exit it? And if I am, like, what's the mechanic I'm going to be using? It's really interesting. At one time, I would have never IS'd at all. Like, just, it, w- it would have felt like something like almost cheating or leaving value on the table. Whereas actually now I consider the use of IS to be perfectly legitimate. Have you been trying to train yourself in doing that? I think that's what we were talking about with Lee B on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Training yourself to use IS is, is definitely something that people have had to do to adapt. Yeah, massively. And it was, <laughs> that was a phenomenal interview, by the way. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. And 
when Lee said that, it really chimed with me because I've kind of been through the same journey. So, you know, I know IS is well, it's not just sort of legitimate. It's actually sometimes more desirable than market selling because if you're looking at a penny spread, why would you take the risk? If it's at the price which you now deem to be a fair exit point for your trade, then why wouldn't you? So, like, if the answers to those questions are all positive and I feel like I've got a bit of a plan, then I do tend to kind of just do a final cross check with some index gain data and ideally an eye test on the player as well. So, at the moment, I've, we've got a nine week old baby in the house. I am watching a lot of sport overnight when I'm staying up <laughs> feeding. Um, I'm recording a lot of games and I'm watching them sort of in the small hours. And that's a great opportunity to kind of just have one last look at a player you might be less familiar with. So, um, yeah. I I mean, I think that's kind of hopefully a bit of a sort of some insight into the process that I go through personally, but I'd recognise that everyone's different in that regard. It's definitely important to use data in, in some way, somehow, but having that context from a footballing standpoint, I think is super important as well. I mean, we are in the business of predicting what will happen to players, right, on Football Index and Unfortunately, you can't only do that with data. You have to apply context. So a lot of people do see straight and arrow in either one of those categories a bit too much. And for me personally, I tend to do a bit of both, quite similarly to yourself, quite similarly to Lee B, who, who you so nicely praised, uh, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. The people that I've seen be most successful in FI do use a blend of both and don't just look at you know black and white numbers on a screen. They don't just watch football. There's a combination and a blend of both that is used intelligently to better their decisions. Yeah, that's absolutely right. This is spot on. Got a question here from Football Index Investor from Slack, predominantly now these days. When you're buying a player, what are the three most important things that you look at research-wise? And how do you then think about an exit strategy? Do you have an example you can talk through of a recent successful trade? So this is a bit of a follow-on to the previous question, I guess. I mean, if I had to break into three things, I'd say I want to be able to see some tangible evidence of value, so some solid kind of intrinsicness to the to the investment, either established in the past or with a really clear future path to returns, because whether you think you care about dividends or not, it is only dividends which give value to the holds. I genuinely, I, I genuinely believe that. So like, I have to be able to see some tangible kind of evidence of that. Secondly, is that sort of more intangible side. So an assessment of, of sentiment. I don't know if you think this is right or not, but like for me, it feels like sentiment is a more powerful force than it ever has been on FI. I don't know if that's right, but it feels like at the moment you can really get a sense of where traders are feeling and how they're feeling about particular holds. And you can watch the price mirror that sentiment really clearly. And then thirdly, it's value. Like, can I explain the price? And can I make an argument that that price is justified? And, you know, those three things, you know, they, I guess they fit in lockstep with the process I talked through a minute ago. But that's the approach, essentially. Yeah, I, I think that the sentiment side of things is something that people are, obviously, it's near impossible to gauge. It's more of a, a gut thing, isn't it? But that kind of gut thing is becoming a little bit more tangible, I suppose, because we can see spreads, right? So even if a player isn't going up yet from the market, because they're not being market bought. I was talking about it today on a video that I made that I'm going to quickly plug about kind of recycling shares that you should definitely go out and watch on YouTube. When spreads are close, that quantifies demand, right? You can actually see that there is more demand for that player because someone is willing to pay more for them. Similarly, if the spread is really wide, there is less demand for that player. If the spread's really wide, no one's going to buy from the market because they could definitely bid just under that and probably get a seller because there is not really that much demand. And these are now snapshots in time. So 
if anything, sentiment is is important from an FI trading perspective, but it's probably more tangible than it ever has been due to the spreads. And so f- you can actually make better decisions by actually analysing those spreads. And I think people aren't really doing that, especially if you're kind of more a short to medium term trader. People aren't really looking at those spreads with enough detail. I think that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Nothing to add there. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to give an example of a, of a recent trade? Yes, um, please. This isn't my like best like in terms of return by any means or an ROI basis, but it's one which I felt had a kind of really solid logic behind it, which I could tell a story around. So, and that's Memphis Depay. So, like the spread in early August on Depay was quite wide. It was sort of three ninety to four thirty, and general sentiment in the in the whole market at that time was pretty low following the first dividend review. So there was some opportunity there on wide spreads to pick up some discounted players. And I managed to get a really good volume of bids match just around the £4 mark, just underneath the £4 mark. And my reasoning was, is this a fair price? Uh, And I really fundamentally thought, yes, it was. Like the discount alone made it a fair price because even if you thought the buy price was slightly overinflated, actually the value of the player was so strong as an established dividend earner in the previous season. You know, it was a Champions League team with gold days and a really like phenomenally generous IPD promo <laughs> over August as well. A player with a short kind of contract length left, so potential for media from transfer stories, which haven't actually materialised by the way, but it was part of my thinking at the time. And you know, League Arm was the first league to be coming back. It's already been back for two weeks now, but then the lesson of the Bundesliga from back in April was that if this is the only football that's on, people will trade on it. Like League Arm was four weeks early compared to the rest of Europe. I just knew that there'll be a lot of traders on FI who will want a piece of that by the time it came around was on television. So you knew the sentiment on France would be pretty high. And the chances of getting out of that trade were going to be pretty good because the IPD promo meant that any kind of indication, like and I don't mean like you know, an indication of the player has scored, the player's assisted. I mean, just being on the team sheet alone at the moment is enough for the spread of a player to close right up to a couple of pence sometimes. So like I had a really clear strategy around Depay, which was all built around the discount and then hoping that he would kind of kick on and perform from there. Now he did. I made just shy of sort of 25% over the course of, well, not even four weeks. And that was a combination of capital appreciation and dividends. And, you know, like 25% is not like in FI terms, it's not enormous, but mm. in kind of real world terms, 25% in less than a month is actually massive. <laughs> and you know, like, let's take a step back sometimes. Like right now, people are scrambling to try and make two or 3% over the course of a year on things. Most like traditional investment products are so poorly paying. So, you know, I could probably be critical and say, I might have actually exited that trade a little bit too early, but I wanted the capital available to recycle for other opportunities. But, I mean, that's kind of, that's the, the strategy and the logic that I went through it hopefully that's a story that resonates with some people listening as well i think that's a really sound explanation of why you've bought a player and i think if you're new to the platform and you're listening to this podcast for maybe only the second or third time really really take note of that how dunwell has definitely broken down each kind of bit of a logic that has gone into actually making the decision to buy the pie. I think that was really good. Got a question here again from FI Lewin. What percentage of your portfolio is made up of calculated purchases compared to players held for quote unquote fund? This is a really difficult question to answer, I think. If I was to hold a mirror up to myself, I would say the thing that I did to constantly challenge myself on as a really big Arsenal fan is to try and 
objectively value those players more strongly because clearly it ticks an additional fun box for me if I hold players in the team that I support. And I have to kind of step back and remind myself, like, this is an investment for me. I know it obviously is a gambling product, but for me, this is an alternative to investing in equities. And actually, it's not really just about like fun. It's also about making some returns as well. So I try not to hold anyone as an investment, unless I've got a really strong rationale for my forecast profitability for that hold. So no one in my portfolio is held purely on a inverted commas for fun basis, which might make me really boring and probably makes me the Mark Corrigan of FI, but (laughs) let's not start that again. However, I would say I consider fun to have like an element of value in itself. And I do get a massive amount of enjoyment from FI. Like my job is really stressful. Uh, It's absolutely like it's turned me gray. I'm only 36. <laughs> I've got a really young family at home, which is obviously like a really hard work as well. So Football Index gives me a really good escape and a stress release from those things. So like it does have to be fun as well. If it stopped being fun, I might like change how I felt about FI a little bit. But you know, I'm not primarily in this on a pure kind of like leisure angle. That's me. I suspect everyone would answer this question very differently. Mm, mm, for sure a lot of people enjoy that fun element of like watching a player other people like yourself they like the process and the actual concept of fi as fun so if that is the fun for you then you want to maximize your your profits which which totally makes sense yeah there is one thing i noticed at the weekend actually watching some like sort of random games from france is that once you have a decent hold in a player you now you can't watch a game of football without watching that player like a hawk for the entire game. You're watching their position off the ball. You're watching their movement. You're watching them asking for the ball. And actually, it does change the way you watch football in a really positive way, I think, as well. It provides a whole new dimension to the viewing experience. And that's another really like USP for FI as a product. Mm. I've got a question here from Ben Q from the Facebook page. So if you guys are Facebook users, facebook.com forward slash football index guide. That's where you can find my page. If Messi moves to Man City and wins media for months on the end, could this be bad for the platform? Seeing the same person win every day as Bruno Fernandes did in January can take the fun away and make people frustrated. If you agree, it could be negative. Is there any possible way to mitigate it? Well, (laughs) I'm going to say that there isn't, unfortunately, because this is probably the biggest footballing story of all time. But Lionel Messi, what's your reading on that situation, the implications? And then we can talk about kind of like, I guess, after frustrations from people that don't hold him. Yeah. I guess the messy story or saga, to use a tabloid vernacular, <laughs> is probably the, the biggest football story of, well, certainly the last few years, right? I mean, possibly even kind of of the decade. And if Lionel Messi comes to the Premier League, it will be both fascinating and enormous for football as a whole. And I think, you know, we've got to kind of remember that. I suspect kind of in terms of the question, if you asked a variety of traders how they felt about this, the response you get would be entirely aligned with whether they hold Messi in their ports right now. Do you think that's true? I think now with buy orders that it's actually not. Like we were talking about last week with SG and PB Man, like, you know, those two guys both openly said, I don't hold Messi, but I'm really, really buzzing every time there's a bit of news about him whether it's for him staying or, or not because they think it's good for the platform and also they think that they can pick up bargains elsewhere oh, so i'm the same so i i don't hold messy either possibly frustratingly <laughs> but you know I, I had a number of opportunities to get in at like 455 550 and and didn't do it like consciously had a, had 
good reasoning for not doing it. And I now have to live with the fact that he's at eight pounds. But anyway, I don't hold him, but I do see the benefits like more broadly being really, really kind of good for the FI as a product. So, I mean, it just you can't underestimate how massive Messi coming to the Premier League would be for all football products, which will get a, a huge rise in the back of it. And FI is just kind of one tenet of that. Mm, that's such a good point, isn't it? Like, I don't think many people have talked about that, the kind of marketing opportunities from a football index standpoint there. It's enormous. It's absolutely huge. And, you know, if you're FI, if you're another betting operator, if you're Sky or BT, if you're selling football merchandise, I don't care kind of like what part of football you've got a piece of commercially, Messi coming to the Premier League makes your business more valuable overnight. And actually, you know, the old adage about sort of rising tide lifting all boats, well, I think it lifts all of us as well. I think genuinely, if you think Messi is going to win media every day for the next three months, then you should probably be holding as many shares as you can get your hands on, £8, £10, £12, whatever. Like You should be going all in on that. I don't think he actually will. I, I think we've seen this week, there's been a variety of media winners, even in the middle of this story. But I don't think it's a problem for FI at all. Quite the opposite. I think it's an opportunity because I think the whole football ecosystem grows around Messi coming to the Premier League and we all benefit from that. I think that's such a good point. Something I hadn't really thought of before. Really, really, really interesting. Where can people find out more about you? So you can find me on Twitter at Il Burrow, which is Italian for the butter, or on the uh, Index Game Slack at SDB Dunwell. Mm, thank you so much for coming on, mate. It's been a, a pleasure having you. If you guys did enjoy that, please do leave a review. Tell us what you thought on social media, Slack, Twitter, the forum, Facebook, wherever you convene. Thank you very much for listening. Remember, Football Linux is a gambling platform. Only bet what you can afford to lose. If you guys are commuting right now, take care of yourself, take care of your friends. Non-commute crew, shout out to you guys as well. A lot of people working from home these days. Again, sorry to get to answer your questions. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great day.